0: There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Yes!
1: Welcome in to this week's edition of the Cameron Chronicles. We're here back up in the Chronicle office, and I'm your host, Derek Saul, joined here by my other host, Shane Smith, and we are also joined by Assistant Blue Zone Editor and Men's Basketball Beat, Evan Colin. and... This is a different tune than our other podcasts if we are coming off the heels of two Duke losses. And we're recording this here at Sunday afternoon, and it's pretty weird. Um I know Evan, you were in Clemson you were at Clemson for that loss. I was at I was there for the Duke Louisville loss. I don't know if Shane, I'm sure you were there also. But, uh no, didn't actually oh, get a wow. chance to go. But
0: <laughs> did watch it, so up to date on that.
1: Yeah, but Uh, Pretty identical scores there. Duke lost to Clemson 79 72 Tuesday before coming home and falling to number 11 Louisville 79 73.
2: I mean, let's walk through both games. I mean, Evan, what'd you see there in Clemson? Yeah, the biggest thing that head coach Mike Szeszewski said following the contest was that Duke really relies on his depth a lot. And not having Joey Baker and not having Wendell Moore Jr. for that game really hurt them both defensively and offensively. Um, foul trouble also hurt their depth down down the stretch of that contest uh, both Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley had four fouls you know those are two of their probably two of their three best offensive players and just not having them down the stretch hurts Matt Hurt also only 15 minutes two points really struggled on defense Coach Gay didn't really trust him to guard Clemson on that side of the ball you know didn't play much down the stretch so Duke really just struggled to score the ball for those reasons yeah and uh with that Clemson game, it was uh,
1: my biggest takeaway was Duke really struggled in the front court defensively, and uh, I think Tevin Mack and the Amirsons they they combined for about forty five points, and they were pretty dominant. And then we saw Duke similarly struggle in the paint against Louisville. I, I want to table discussion uh, for the game against the Cardinals for a little bit. But in that Clemson game, I mean, I really thought that Vernon Carey was exposed defensively. I've been kind of worried about that all year, and that's not to say this is not to write Vernon Carey off. He's still one of the best players in the country, but he was playing like the best player in the country for you know the first fifteen games of college basketball, and he's looked beatable. And I think it's not it's not just the fact that he's getting beat but if there's if there are bigs that are strong and athletic and we even saw that Duke's win against Georgia Tech. mean, we were there in Atlanta for that. He can get kind of run off the floor. I don't know if you guys agree with that, or there's a rebuttal there.
0: No, and definitely what you saw from Vernon in these last couple games is, and honestly the other freshman too, is. there's just a – ACC play is just a different level of physicality. And, you know, I think Duke definitely had a favorable start to the year, and now is kind of their – their wake-up call playing against, you know, some more physical teams. And I know we're going to get to Louisville where, you know, Kerry definitely struggled. But in this Clemson game, it just looked like, and again, in the Louisville game too, they you know, these other teams are flying to the ball and really just taking Duke out of their comfort zone. It just seems like they want to give the ball to Carry, You know, obviously you want to, but... Just forcing it too often, and it feels like you know they just have to have a you know another offensive system when you know you can't force feed it in there.
1: Yeah, and I think really a big problem that I've seen coming from this is Duke has that ten man rotation now. Wendell Moore's been out. Joey Baker was out against Clemson, but's back. But it's weird to see if there are guys that they're got. Aside from, you know, really the top three of Trey Jones, Cassius Stanley, and Vernon Carey, and Jones and Stanley have continued to look really good. Jones, what didn't look so good against Louisville, but I think that was more of a blip. But those three are going to continue really being being stars, and they've proven themselves to be capable on both sides of the floor. But the other seven guys are... Really, it's defense or offense. I mean, most of the other guys, they're they're a liability on one side. So when you have Joey Baker, Matthew Hurt, or Alex O'Connell in, they're consistently getting beat off the dribble defensively. But then when you go when you look on offense, I mean Shane, you allude to with like the offensive problems, but when Wendell Moore, Javin Delorie, when they're out there offensively, it's pretty hard to run an offense because let's say the let's say one of the gold let's say Goldwire, because Goldwire has been playing a lot. But if Goldwire is out there, it allows teams to double carry when he gets the ball on the entry pass. And Duke doesn't Duke's not really able to burn the burn their opponents when that happens. And I don't know if you guys have seen anything of how how is that going to get solved or is it not?
2: Well I think it's not necessarily a bad thing the way the team is constructed with three, you know, stars and everyone else sort of has their roles, but the problem was when players like Alex O'Connell, who's, you know, out there purely for an off, for offense, isn't producing on offense, then, you know, what is he playing for? And that's just another guy that really hurts the depth of Duke, because that's, you know, Alex O'Connell played two minutes against Louisville because he just wasn't producing and, you know, didn't play well versus Clemson either, and that's really just cutting down the rotation even more than it already is. You know, Joey Baker, too, you know, if he's out there for offense, he's got to produce on offense, one of seven against Louisville, which I know we'll get to later, but... If those guys are out there for one reason, they better be producing for that reason.
0: I mean, and this is just something that, you know, if there's one coach that can do it, it's Mike Krzyzewski, but this is something that he's going to have to figure out because obviously you want, you're going to want your best players out there on on the floor, but, you know, as Cassius Stanley alluded to before the Louisville game, Duke doesn't really know how to play with a shortened rotation right now. You know, Cassius said that they're, they have to, you know, when they have a shortened bench, whether it's from injury or Alex O'Connell's not playing well or Joey Baker and they're playing limited minutes, they don't know that they have to tone down the aggressiveness and, you know, play smarter and not take plays off, but you can't just be going, you know, 110% on every play knowing that you're going to get a sub out in four minutes. And, you know, if, if Mike Krzyzewski wants to stay with that 10-man rotation and let him play that way... You know, that could work, but honestly, these last two games are just showing that, you know, what we kind of all expected for a while now, that the bench is looking like it's going to get shortened a little bit, and they're just going to have to learn to play that way. Who do you guys think are the, the one
1: or two guys that will, if it's trimmed to an eight-man rotation, assuming Wendell Moore is healthy and he's expected to be back within the, the next few weeks, um, who do you think is going to get get the ax from Coach Gay?
2: I think O'Connell is the first one out. You know, it's pretty clear that he's obviously always been struggling on the defensive end of the floor, but on offense, if he's not making his shots from beyond the arc. There's really no reason to put him out there. Other than that, I think, you know, obviously the next man up would most likely be Joey Baker rather than DeLaurier or White. I think Baker, he's been on and off. He's, more, he's been more consistent than O'Connell has this season. I don't see him getting cut just yet, but if, obviously if I already cut two, it's O'Connell and Baker. I
0: personally don't think
2: that there's a player
0: inconsistent enough or consistent enough to get axed from the rotation. I think that even though the bench will shorten, it's not going to be O'Connell taking down to eight minutes a game every day. I think it could be because, you know, O'Connell's O'Connell and Baker, these guys, are they have their nights for sure. They can knock down shots there, spark off the bench. And, you know, I don't think it's out of the question where – you know, O'Connell plays, you know, 19 minutes a game one day, and then he's down to five or six the next day. And, you know, you saw there are games where Hurt cannot play as much, like his 15 minutes against Clemson, and maybe uh, DeLorea gets some more. I think it'll no one's necessarily going to get, you know, completely shut out of the rotation. It's just going to be fluctuating on, you know, who's playing well. Yeah, and we,
1: we, I think uh, we were remiss to not – focus a little more on Javin Delore of his, basically he's just disappeared. Um, and it's been pretty wild to see him not take a step up. I think a lot of people were, were hoping, look, he's never going to be guy that averages double, double, but last year, the best game of his career to, to end the season against Michigan state. And he surprisingly declared for the NBA draft and actually did have some workouts, with teams, and he came back and he looks like the same player that he's been freshman through junior year. And I think alluding to the problems with Carey of, you know, we knew that he wasn't going to be a guy that plays 35 minutes a game. We knew he was, he's averaging around 22 or 23 minutes a game right now. And especially when that – it's even in big games, it seems like that number has to stay there. He's not someone that that is – that properly has the stamina or you really want out there for 35 minutes a game. And when DeLaurier comes in, it's just it's a clear drop off. I mean, he's really he's really a zero offensively and I think it's I I definitely be worried about. I think I think my personal picks would be O'Connell and DeLaurier, but I don't think that they'll I don't think that they will will be out of the rotation. And Shane, as you alluded to, I think this is a team that's built to have as many people in the rotation as possible. It's not quite that Cornell system where they're all fifteen guys in the roster are coming in and you're just sprinting for 90 seconds. But Duke is much better served of there's there's not much of a difference between the the guys that are six through ten in the rotation. Not that obviously they have their their own individual games, but I think Let's say, like, Baker and O'Connell have pretty similar games. I mean, Baker has played a lot better and I think is a lot better, but you're much better off. You don't want to play Joey Baker 22 minutes. It's much better to just split the, oh, these are the 25 minutes that are going to Baker and O'Connell, and they'll, they'll be allocated as who has the hot hand. I mean, that, that's what makes the most sense to me.
2: Yeah, and that's what it looks like. If that's what it looks like Majuszewski is going to do. You know, he emphasizes there is no rotation. There's, I don't think there will ever be, like, just an eight-man rotation that he's going to go to day in and day out. Yeah, he might play eight guys per game, but it's obviously going to split. Sort of just how he alludes to, there's no starting five. There's no eight-man rotation, and it's just going to, you know, it depends, like you said, who has the hot hand between O'Connell and Baker. Those those are guys that, you know, they're not consistently shooting well from beyond the arc, but there are obviously games where, you know, they could start hitting a few shots in a row, and that's what, you know, Coach K is going to go to, you know, for each contest.
1: Yeah, and uh, to we we've alluded to it a lot, but let's get more into the nitty gritty with that Louisville game. So Duke loses seventy nine, seventy three, and again, it's it's not similar to that Clemson loss. Of Louisville is a really good team. I think a lot of people picked Louisville to finish atop the ACC, and they were I believe they did get up to number one in December, um, but they had been struggling recently, and right away Duke gets Duke gets blown. Duke gets blown off, blown off the line, and they're down 25-10. And eventually the Blue Devils do recover. It is a 10-point halftime deficit, and Duke does tie it a couple times late. And they did have the, the big shot was – or the shot – the big miss, I should say. It was 17 seconds left. Cassius Stanley rose for three, airballed it. Would've, that would have tied the game and then ended up that, you know, it was the, the foul and free throw game in Blueville emerged on top after that but I guess what was
0: what were your biggest takeaways from those from the game you know there's just so much to unpack from this game just just even looking at a box score because you have you know unexpected guys stepping up Vernon Carey didn't play really well for Duke and Trey Jones didn't come on till late Jordan Nuora you know preseason ACC player of the year only had six points and you have you know these guys uh, uh David Johnson under undervalued freshman for Louisville stepping up for a big game, Cassius Stanley stepping up for a big game. It just seemed it just seemed like an odd game, just just you know, overshadowed by Duke's probably worst eight minutes of basketball they've played all year to start that game. And you know, just talking about the end of the game, look, there are two things that are gonna plague Duke right now, and there are two things that are really going to affect the team in March, and that's Duke is not very good at shooting free throws right now, especially in ACC play, and Duke does not have a guy that you can give the ball to at the end of the game to, you know, take it, hit the big shot. And that's kind of uncharted territory for Duke now, but you saw Trey Jones before that Cassius Stanley shot. Just poor decision on a step-back three, really had no chance of going in, and then that Cassius Stanley three when honestly, Duke would probably been better suited to take it to the rack either time and cut it to a one-point game. But it concerns me that Duke is sitting here, you know, and if, if they're down by one, who do you really trust to take that shot? Because it certainly looks like teams aren't going to, you know, allow Vernon Carey to just get the ball down low and just let Duke force-feed him.
1: Yeah, and... While while he's not that guy and he proved not to be that guy at the end, but I do want to give a little tip of the cap to Cassius Stanley. I mean, he did have, you know, he was I don't want to say he was ultimately the reason Duke lost, but if his shot went in, you know, that game probably goes to overtime. I guess Louisville did have a would have had a chance there to get a buzzer beater. But he was great last night. He was the only the only Duke player. Him and Jack White actually were really the only guys that performed. I mean Trey Jones and Vernon Carey, especially in the first half, were awful. I mean, Jones and Carey in the first half, like, I think that was the worst half of basketball for the for the two, both of them. Uh, Louisville and this wasn't all Vernon Carey's fault, but Louisville scored the first 22 points in the paint, which was, he was both struggling to get over and help and also struggling to get anything going offensively, but Cassius Stanley finished the game high, 24 points, 11 rebounds, and he really was the spark for Duke. But He's not a guy that can score off the dribble. He is awesome on the fast break, and he's a good set shooter. Um, he, I don't know what he's shooting right I think he's over 40% from three right now. Um, but he's not a guy that's, that's really going to score off the dribble. And that's a problem for Duke. And, you know, it, I, I think everyone expected Vernon Carey to not be the guy getting the ball in the last 30 seconds. I mean, normally, you know, those those b- big, big centers aren't normally the crunch time guy. And... People, I think, were hoping—I mean, I don't—Couch Stanley wasn't in the discussion at the beginning of the year, but I think—I remember, I think on our first podcast, right when the season started, we talked about who's going to be the guy that's going to get that—going to get the last—going to get the, the bucket late. And Trey Jones isn't really that guy, and he wasn't that guy last year, and he, he still can get his shot off the dribble, but I don't think— I don't it's it's not ideal to have a Trey Jones mid-range jumper and so, uh, people were hoping for Matthew Hurt and Matthew Hurt hasn't really proved to be able to put the ball on the floor.
2: Well, the one thing obviously that offense even besides that Trey Jones three and the Cassius Stanley three-point attempts, it was embarrassing in the last couple minutes where you just see Trey Jones really just running an iso by himself they aren't really running any kind of offense. You know, you're talking about like a you know a last, you know second shot kind of guy last 30 seconds. They couldn't get a buck in the last two, three minutes. You know, they kept running the same thing over and over again. And I just kind of want to hear your guys' opinions on, obviously, you're not expecting, like, those big centers to, you know, take those final shots in the final seconds. But Vernon Carey's a pretty good passer. Obviously, if they double him, you know, he can pass out. Why couldn't they at least, you know, include Vernon Carey in the offensive set in some of those final possessions?
1: Well, I think... I think what you just said of he can kick it out. He hasn't proven to be a good passer this year. Hmm. So I think if he gets the ball inside, it's it's a that's where the possession ends, whether it's a basket, a turnover, or a missed shot. So I, I, I personally, I'm like, I don't, I don't think you you need to force feed him inside in that situation, even though he is their best offensive player, and this has been a really, I, I've. I've been really down on Kerry in this podcast and I apologize for being reactionary for that and also he is still going to be a first team all american he's been great this season but I think it's more I don't think it's saying that Kerry's going to suck all season I think it's that there needs to be an adjustment and coming from the coaches half and from him of Duke needs to figure out how to use him because right now a smart coach and athletic forwards and
0: centers I and mean, he's 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 taken out of the game. Well, and we still got to remember that coming into this year, Vernon Carey did not play in the post in high school. Like, he's been learning everything on the fly, and, you know, it's been impressive, but now he's playing. Like, Stephen Enoch is, you know, one of the best, one of the best, you know, I'd probably say top ten centers in the country. And he just, he just out physical. you know, out, had more physical play than Carey, and it showed. And... You know, back to that point on a final shot Duke again, like Duke doesn't have a guy you can just say, Iso, go ahead I, Duke has to have some sort of set where they're opening the rest of the floor you know, off of so whether it's, you know, you run, a, you run a set play to get carry the ball down low and then you work around that or, you know, I think just as dangerous is getting the ball to Matthew Hurt on the elbow or, uh, or maybe a pick and pop with Hurt and Jones they can't just put the ball in Jones or Stanley's hand and say, go get a bucket. There has to be some sort of action, whether it's a horn set or whatever that that's, you know, going to open the floor because Duke's Duke's offense just looks too stagnant right now.
1: Yeah. And before we, uh, before we go big picture and wrap things up, um, I have the the box score from last night's game, the the Ken Palm box score. And, uh, it goes to show you of the the plus minus stats are you ha- you can throw away for individual games. So Duke's second best off second best uh, guy in offensive re- rating yesterday was Jordan Goldwire, and the worst guy was Joey Baker. Um, and I don't think you'd I don't think you'd say that uh, Goldwire was uh, was too helpful offensively yesterday, and nor is he normally.
0: Um, and actually, one more point to wrap it up is that what won Duke the game last year in Louisville. It was a full-court press of Goldwire and Jones, and I was baffled that it took Krzyzewski so long to actually put a full, full full-court press with those two. Like, if my memory serves me right, it didn't happen until, like, you know, towards later in the second half. And honestly, I think Duke could have come away with a win if they put that on earlier.
1: Yeah, Louisville's guards, I mean, David Johnson was good, but specifically with... Their, their ball handling isn't good. Like they're They don't have guards that can really withstand the test of Trey Jones, Jordan Goldwater. There aren't many guards in the country that can. Um, but this game, the Dukes loss to Louisville had really big implications in the sense of now we're looking at it of Dukes now behind two teams for AC regular season title, and with a weaker – I shouldn't say it's weaker AC – with a less top-heavy ACC, Duke doesn't really have as many opportunities to get a signature win until the ACC tournament. Duke's current-only ranked matchup is against Florida State, which will be at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Do you guys still think that Duke could get a one seed
2: when it comes time for NCAA tournament? I think they can. I mean, they're if they beat Florida State, they're kind of, in my opinion, in a driver's seat for a one seed. They'd have three losses by season's end. Uh, I think they still have a chance to win the ACC regular think season title. they win out? I, wow, I think it's possible. It's not. They have one ranked matchup. The rest of the games they have. You know, usually, obviously, you know, UNC is always a tough matchup. They still have two games against UNC, but with the way North Carolina is playing, I think it's not unreasonable to expect a sweep there. And besides that, you know, obviously, even if they do lose, you know, one more unexpected game, I don't see them losing more than one more unexpected game. And this is obviously an optimistic scenario. We're talking. to they still have? You know the ability to get a one seed, even if they lose one more unexpected game, if they beat Florida State, I think they're in the driver's seat for a one seed.
0: Well, I mean, we already know one seed's going to be one of the one seeds is going to be taken up with Gonzaga in the West. They're not they're not losing many more games. Um, I think Duke has a chance, but in the end, you if you compare them up to a Kansas or a Baylor or you know uh, even a Michigan State. I know they had that big loss to Purdue, but. Those teams just have so many more opportunities for a big win, and I don't think Duke's winning out. I think they could easily lose to a team at NC State. The way their offense is playing right now, I can tell you they're not going to be able to force-feed carry against UVA, and at UVA, that's going to be a tough game no matter how you know poor they're playing this year. I I know Duke fans had high hopes for an ACC regular season title, but they don't play Louisville again. Uh, Louisville doesn't have very many tough games remaining on their schedule. I think Duke could still get a one seed, um, but I, I think it's going to be tough to get that ACC regular season title. Yeah, I think getting the one seed, I think, is actually going to come
1: down to ACC tournament title. I think it'll probably it'll. It's Gonzaga's a lock. I mean, unless all of a sudden they the the world the world ends and somehow they start losing and the the west coast conference um i think kansas or baylor whichever one comes out on top i i think i think it'll be kansas i think baylor it's i shouldn't say it's fool's gold because they are one of the better teams in the country but i think they're they're number two right now I, i don't think they're the second best team in the country and I think an ACC team and a Big Ten team. I think if Michigan State or Ohio State, I think however that shakes out, I'll probably, I think it'll be Michigan State. I know Ohio State's been really bad lately, okay. but the Big Ten is a lot better than the ACC this year, which is weird. And I, uh, Duke doesn't have a chance to get any more statement wins, really. They do already have really big wins. I mean, already beat, already beat Kansas. And I think that I, I guess if I was if I was betting man I'd say yes they will get a one seed because I think they are still the best team in the ACC and I think, I think they'll they'll win an ACC tournament they'll they'll probably have a couple losses in there I'm not as I guess I'm not as optimistic as Evan but I think that
2: I, I think, think
1: that coming into March they will
2: even two more losses five losses I yeah. think they can that's still one seed material and yeah,
0: if there's a- if there's a silver lining is that Auburn and Butler the two teams behind them at four and five also had. Just terrible weeks. So, two loss, a two loss week for Duke isn't the end of the world. Yeah, I don't think there's gonna. I don't think there will be a Big East or a SEC one
1: seed. But it's still still a little early for that. But I think I agree. I think Auburn had a really bad week. Uh, Duke had a better week than Auburn still. 0 and two. Yeah. <laughs> well, had better loss. Um, the loss to the loss to Louisville. Ultimately, I mean, it's it's obviously a home loss is always not a good look, but. Louisville is one of the best teams in the country, so that's that's something I don't think is going to really be held
0: against Duke when it comes to, to tournament selection time. I mean, if you put a point guard, if you put a, a very good ball handler on Louisville, that's the best team in the country. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah,
1: I mean, they don't have that.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining
1: us uh, for the Duke Chronicle, Derek Saul, Shane Smith, Evan Colon. Uh, have a great day.